go to class. We are going to be in Matthew 28 today, and I'm excited to be there because uh, this is the final week. If you have done the whole 2023 reading plan with us, you have read every chapter of the New Testament, and we have done that together, so it's very exciting. And we're sort of going to be ending with where, you know, I began within 2022 and a little bit of 2023, and that is discipleship. And what does discipleship really look like? And we also get to look at that as what we are going into 2024. Now, if you want to do the reading plan with us in 2024, those forms are in the back of the Next Steps area, too. We're going to be doing the Torah, and we're going to be doing the Old Testament, and, uh, and also be some extra readings with uh, the connection points of the New Testament. So we'd love for you to uh, read the Bible and, uh, with us as we continue to go through um, this process. Um, today... Uh, we are going to be talking about the reading of that Jesus is sending out the disciples into the world. And just so you know, his plan worked. If there's any question, the way Jesus operated, it worked. And it is still working today. Robbie Gallaty, um, he states this, Discipleship is intentionally equipping believers with the Word of God through accountable relationships, empowered by the Holy Spirit, in order to replicate faithful followers of Christ. Let me just reread that. Discipleship is intentionally equipping believers with the Word of God through accountable relationships empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to replicate faithful followers of Christ. Discipleship is a form of obedience and intimacy with Christ and an opportunity for spiritual intimacy with fellow believers. So let's take a look at John, or Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Verse 16 starts with this and says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. All right, let's start. Verse 16, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Point number one, disciples must be discipled. Disciples must be discipled. In this Western culture that we are in, a lot of us is, it's information driven. Just so you know, the context of the scripture is God is much more relationship driven. There's this Western culture. So, so I'm going to make it really simple, okay? I have a packet right here, a bunch of forms of how to hammer a nail, Okay? These are the instructions on how to hammer a nail. Let me read some. It it even starts, almost every household has a hammer or two. Great, that's great. But the first point, these are many points. Point one, choosing the right hammer. 
the hammer that is found in most homes and a decent choice for all-around versatility is the 16-ounce curved claw hammer. If you're going to have one hammer only, this is a good choice. But if you're looking for a lighter hammer, you can consider the 13-ounce curved claw hammer. Or there's a tacked hammer. There's a ball pin hammer. There's a mason hammer. Now, it's just not the hammers. You also have to know how to hold the hammer. This is one of my favorite parts. Getting used to holding the hammer correctly. Don't choke up on the hammer and grab it by the neck to start a nail by tapping it. Nothing sends a message like, I have no idea what I'm doing like using a hammer this way. <laughs> to properly hold the hammer, grab it near the end of the handle. Get used to the feel. Swing it loosely in your hand. A well-made hammer will have a nice balance to it. Let's go to the next. But you just don't have the hammer. You got the nail. How to hold the nail properly. Point number four. A very common mistake is when you start a nail is to hold it down near the bottom against the wood. This is wrong because if you miss the head, it will hurt your fingers. <laughs> Shocker. Point number five. Just so you know, I am doing the extreme cliff notes of how to hammer a nail. Swinging correctly and hitting the nail properly, because there's a balance to that as well. Striking the nail squarely on the head is the goal when using the hammer. Hold the nail near the top. Place the hammerhead center on the head of the nail. Now, they also give you a couple hints to cheat. You can drill little holes to help hold the nail in the process and you can avoid splitting the wood like that, but they do finish with the point number eight. Make the last blow count. If you correctly time your hammer strikes, the last blow will drive the nail head slightly below the surface of the material you're nailing into. Done right, the shape of the hammer's head will slightly countersink the nail, but will not mar the wood surface at all. Boom, there you go. You now all know how to hammer a nail. That is very information-driven. It's a little bit different. And I'll not do this for time, but I was going to call someone up. And I won't embarrass anyone. But it's a little bit different than actually showing someone how to do it. To actually being with someone and illustrating how to actually hammer a nail. To actually correctly do it. To, also, it talked about no nail at, uh, in that point. It talked about what you can and cannot nail. So can I nail a candle? Can I nail? It, it had, there's this lack of information that can only happen when you're only going by information overload. And Western culture loves sharing information, but there is something that we have forgotten as going along with someone and actually showing someone how to hold the hammer and nail. It would be hilarious if I hurt my hand right now. But to actually like to put it in and to show how to lay it and to do it and then have someone else come follow and do it and be like, here, you try, you do this. And actually doing life together. There's a huge difference between the information that is read and actually showing life together. We have actually forgotten how to disciple people. 
Robbie Egality again says, discipleship is not the transfer of information, but transformation. We as believers of Jesus Christ are not just to be participants in what Jesus says, but we are also to be participants in how Jesus lived. Jesus spent three years with the disciples. Jesus does, he does three amazing things with these people, with the disciples. First, in Luke 5, 1 through 11, you don't have to go there, but he opens his life to these guys. Jesus calls his first disciples and asks them to live life with him. That's where he calls Simon Peter, James, and John. He's opening up his life to them. Secondly, as we continue through Luke in this, Jesus does life with them, showing them how to hammer would be the example. But Luke 8, 26-39, Jesus restores the demon-possessed man named Legion. You remember the story? He goes over there, and they're with him, and all of a sudden he restores the demon-possessed man. So then what happens afterwards? Luke 9, we keep moving. Luke 9, Jesus sends out the 12, giving them power and authority to do what? To drive out all demons and to cure diseases. So one, Jesus uh, opens up his life up to him. Two, he shows him how to do it. And then three, he sends them out. And you see this consistently in his life of discipleship. Discipleship always concludes with replication. It always does. Here's the deal. If I showed Bob, yes, Bob's a woodmaker, but in this story, he's not going to know what to do. If I showed Bob how to do a hammer and he got up here and could not do it properly, would I be a good teacher? No. You're allowed to say it. You're a thank you. You don't have to get too into it. No, because you're, you actually haven't trained anyone. You could have said all the right things, but you actually have not done anything. You've actually just done nothing except waste his time. Because when you create replication, and this is a key, is replication is when Bob can tell someone else how to do it and teach them. That is actually true discipleship. If I know how to hammer and I teach Bob how to do it, and then Bob teaches someone, I have now done my job where I've now helped him so then he can help someone else. Too many times we like to tell people how to do stuff and then we walk away. Oh, it's for them to deal with. We can't do that. We as believers have to continue to walk alongside. And we'll dive into more of that as these verses continue to go. And this is where Jesus is so beautiful. Jesus has made discipleship not a fact to know or a checkbox to mark off, but he has made it participation. Even though all, through all the ups and downs of the disciples' lives, they were always willing to be discipled and led by Jesus. We can look through all the stories. How many times did the disciples make wrong decisions or they were arguing with each other or they were afraid of him? How many times did they do it? But what were they always doing? They were always participating. They were always led by Jesus. They always continued to walk with him. Even through the mistakes, they were still always walking with him. As they were allowed to be discipled. That's why point one is so important. Disciples must be discipled. They were willing. 
to trust in Jesus in all situations. Remember, discipleship is a form of obedience and intimacy with God and an opportunity for spiritual intimacy with fellow believers. Verse 17, as we continue. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Okay, there's two major views on what this means. Okay, one view is that uh, the, on the stance of what, was they, what were they doubting? Some people believe that there were more people than the 11 that went up to the mountain. Like some people were following them, and when they went up to the top, they were still confused by the resurrection, and they doubted the situation. I lean more to point number two, where it's not the point of that they doubted in who God was, not the fact that they doubted who Jesus was, they doubted in themselves that they actually still doubted what is going to happen next. How many times in our lives has God showed up and we still doubt? How many times God has revealed our, we can look back at different points in our lives and we still doubt, and we still bring up facts. I'm like, oh, I don't think God's gotten it. What? He's done it so many times and we still walk away. And there's still this doubt. Because I think that there's no way that they would be able to see him and they'd be worship him and then they doubted him like, oh, that's not really Jesus or that's not really who he is. No, I think there was doubt in their minds of what's going to happen. There's doubts there because Jesus is unchanging. It is us that continue to fail. Verse 18 then says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Just so you know, Jesus is laying down the God card right here. Like all authority. Wearsby puts it this way. Jesus based his commissioning of the disciples on his authority. The word authority indicates the right to use power. The entire gospel of Matthew stresses the authority of Jesus Christ. His teaching had authority. He exercised authority in healing and even in forgiving of sins. He had authority over Satan, and he delegated that authority to his apostles. And at the close of the gospel, Matthew made it clear that Jesus has been given all authority. Because of this, we may obey him without fear, no matter where he leads us, no matter what circumstances we face. He is in control. By his death and resurrection, Jesus defeated all enemies and won for himself all authority. We have to realize that authority matters because if he didn't have ultimate authority, then his, what he tells us to do next in verse 19 doesn't really matter. But he, if he does have authority, well, we have to pay attention to verse 19 because it says, therefore, in verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This leads to point number two. Number eight, not number five. Okay. Even though it says six up there, uh, the, the next slide's right. Number f it's an eight and not a five. Let's look at the number eight. I think so many times we, in the, uh, we have looked at evangelism and discipleship as being two separate things. The problem is, is they're not. The problem is, is that we have 
put them like, oh, either we're in-house, we're in church, we're we're reading, and then evangelism is another thing that we do just on a missions week when we go on a missions trip in uh, the summer. No, they're, they're not. Uh, if you look down, the bottom of the eight is discipleship. Uh, that is the foundation, that is what is going on, of, of being there together. But as you are continuing to read, as you are continuing to walk along with other people and live life, you are, like Jesus, opening your life to other people, inviting them into your life. And what happens then is you start to go up and, like, drawing the eight as you're going up. As you're going up, you are reaching other people in evangelism. There's this evangelism factor that you are now reaching people and you are now talking with people. And if you want to really care and love for them, you will then take them and bring them back into discipleship. You will actually walk alongside them during the discipleship part where you are walking alongside and showing them how to hammer, which you are showing people how to read. The problem is is a lot of our culture has become a number five. We, at certain times, will play at the end where the five doesn't close up. Where we're over there and we've, we like our Bible studies, we like reading, but we are done with the world. The world has made too many mistakes. We don't want to really deal with them, and so we're just going to stay here. We're not going to really do anything. We want Jesus to come back, which I do too, but we're not. We're really waiting it out. We're in the bunker mentality. We're like, hey, we get through this. We're just going to stay here. Or we're on the other end, up at the top of the five, and where we love reaching people, but when they do find Christ or they do find him, we're like, okay, awesome. Read the Bible. Start with John. I'll talk to you later. And you walk away. And all of a sudden, let's be honest, how many times have, what are you going to do? with a new believer reading John, which is a great book, but there's no leadership, there's no guidance, there's no walking alongside. Jesus spent three years with people. Three. Jesus himself investing in these men. And the problem is, is we have made it distorted. We're eight where we're supposed to walk alongside through the ups and downs We need to be an eight, but we have become a five. Jesus wants us to walk along. That's why he's saying, therefore, go and make disciples. He wants us to go out and reach the lost. He wants us to go out into the world. He wants us to go. He's saying that. But then what he's saying is, and make disciples. Finish the process. Finish the process. Walk alongside people. What is so amazing is the Western culture has made it uh, a bigger thing. The more people that you have led to Christ or that you've discipled, one, you didn't lead anyone to Christ. That is only done by the Holy Spirit. That is only done by God. You are just a participant, a seed in that, and you get to enjoy that. And it is a blessing that I wish upon everyone that you get to see someone do that. But we also have to remember as we walk along, there's work afterwards. As we continue to disciple people in our lives. So we must be discipled. We cannot look like a number five. What is so interesting is that Jesus spent his time with 12. Do you, you know that Jesus could have talked at venues all over the world, right? You know that Jesus could walk on water every day, right? Like, he just didn't do it, like he could. But this Jesus chose this way. 
He chose this way, and he's continued to choose that way because he invested in the 12. He invested them to replicate their lives, he, he, and they did, as you could tell why we're here today, as they continued to disciple and continue to grow. Discipleship is a form of obedience and intimacy with God and an opportunity for spiritual intimacy with fellow believers. Verse 20 says, And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Point number three, God cares for you. God cares for you. As the year 2023 ends and the year 2024 begins, I'm not here to tell you to add more to your plate. I want you to know through these verses that God cares for you, that he will be with you, that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one, and that Jesus is at the right hand of God and is an advocate for us, and the Holy Spirit is with us now. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is that through all of this, he doesn't just want to give information to you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants a relationship with you. Wearsby puts it like this, wrapping up uh, in Matthew 28, 20. He says, the end of the age indicates that our Lord has a plan. One day, everything will come to a climax. But meanwhile, we must all be faithful. Remember, it's God's grace that is enough, not your works. It's God's grace that brings salvation. It's God's grace that brings peace. It's God's grace that brings his kingdom down. And when Jesus is talking about and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, that he's talking about discipling. He's talking about walking along, obeying the words that I have commanded you. Is showing the grace that we have so richly received. And we are supposed to share it to a lost world that deeply needs it. If you don't know that the world needs Jesus right now, I don't know what you're looking at. Am I correct? That, that is the only thing. There's not a five-step plan that I have. There's not a president in the United States that's going to make everything. It's Jesus. You might like one better than the other. I'm telling you, the only thing that will change hearts and the only thing that will change people is Jesus. And Jesus laid out his life and his words to demonstrate the life of a, a disciple maker. He made disciples that radically changed the world. And the thing is, is we're supposed to follow his lead. And the beautiful thing is, is about being a disciple maker. It's not about John. It's not about Stephen. It's not about Bob. It's always been about Jesus. Because you know what's funny? It's, that's who I'm showing. That's who we're showing. And so I think it's great to get in shape for the new year. I think it's great to eat healthy. I think it's great to do make cookies for your neighbors. I think it's great to do all those things. But I am telling you, the main thing, God's go make disciples. That's what God's called us to do. By being a number eight, not a number five. And sometimes that gets messy. I'm telling you, when you hammer the nail and you show people, when you start doing even the hammering, 
it gets messy. Because I'm telling you, some people won't get it right away. And sometimes when you nail yourself, you still hit yourself in the thumb. I've nailed myself. I have still, after all these years, thought I could hammer really well, and I still once in a while get myself. We still fall. We still fail. We still do that. That is not what God's talking about. You are saved. But God wants you to live this life with people, to show this life with people. To not just give them information and then walk away, but to be vulnerable and open. And it will be messy. Now, some of you, as we talk today, some of you know you need to be discipled. And I'm asking you for you, God to speak into your heart. I need to be discipled. Some of you have been discipled for a while, but you need it more. But Or maybe God has put on your heart, like, it's time for me to, to disciple some of my friends, disciple someone around me. I don't know where you're at. But as we continue to wrestle with this, I want us to be a church that's obedient to the word of God. That's what I'm calling us to do. This is not anything, this is not John's plan. The way it looks in scripture, this is God's plan. This is Jesus' plan. And we just need to be obedient. Because then we get to show through God's plan a lost world, the only thing that can save them. That is Jesus Christ. So if you have any questions about that, I ask that you write it down. I ask that you go to the next step area. I ask that on the way out, say, get with me. Because I don't want it to end just today. I want God to speak through your heart. I want God to speak to you. And I want you to be obedient to what God has for 2024. Let us sing.